Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, when you get a chance, please check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. While you're there, check out our 2021 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you're going new car shopping. You will also want to check out our blog for reviews of all the vehicles that we are driving here at Consumer Guide. And there's all sorts of other fun stuff you might want to check out, too. And you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. How cool is that? All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. Hey, Jill. Hey, Jill Simonillo. Hey. Hey, Tom Appel. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Um, I, I think offline you said you were um, under-caffeinated, and I would like to say I am now going on like three weeks of being caffeine-free. Why? I know. I, 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 you know, I, I go through these these phases where I'm like, I, and I know you don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm starting training again for running. And so I go oh. through phases where I try different things. And so, like, I'll try different foods and see how it makes me feel. And so this the thing that I'm trying this year is, okay, if I give up caffeine, how does that affect me? What if you didn't give up caffeine, but you gave up healthy food? I would probably be a mess literally and figuratively um, every day. So, um, but yeah, because my body is now used to healthy food. But I will tell you, um, being three weeks caffeine free, I'm still flipping tired all of the time. People are like, oh, you'll get over that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not over it yet. (laughs) That's why you don't do something like that. I I know, but I'm trying. I got to go for at least like a month. All right. Hey, he's the senior editor here at Consumer Guide Automotive, and he just opened a magnesium franchise right here in our building. Welcome, Damon Bell. (laughs) You do not want to go to me for any sort of math (laughs) help. Math is not my strong suit. One of the interesting things about a Mathnasium franchise, and yes, I did look this up, (laughs) you don't need to know anything about math to open one. You just need $50,000. They handle the expertise? How does that work? I guess you have to hire the expertise. Hmm. Which I assume is just school teachers in their free time. Yeah, I guess I've not given thought to Mathnasiums. But uh, because I know you were asking, um, if you don't want to go with Mathnasium, you can go with Oxford Learning Centers, Best Brains, Cumin, uh, Pride Learning Centers, and the Tutoring Center. So there you go. Hmm. Uh, ways you get better at math by paying someone else. I could do a grammar-nasium or a spelling-nasium. <laughs> yeah, but I get that for free. <laughs> hmm. All right. Damon, what's going on this week on the uh, on the show? Uh, well, we've got our good friend of the show, Sam Fiorani, on today. Uh, that guy. That guy. Yes, Sam is the head. <laughs> Sam leads the global forecasting team for Auto Forecast Solutions, and he also hosts the super informative AFS Vision podcast. And I think we're we're giving him unprecedented free reign on the show today. It seems. Why are we doing this? I don't. I guess because he's a he's a uh, gold jacket wearer, multiple time guest. We're, we're handing the reins over to him. We're, he, we're going to discuss, I think, kind of whatever is on his mind today for the interview segment. And then, horror of horrors, he's taking over the quiz today as well. <laughs> maybe I'm not maybe so that'll comfortable with this. Maybe that'll work in my favor. We'll, we'll it, see. We'll it see. <laughs> I have this sinking feeling that he's going to stump us all. Yeah, probably. Given, given my failing memory, this can't work. This can't work oh, for me. No. Oh, man. So so this week, we always talk about news, and Damon was mumbling like, I'm tired of talking about news. So Was I we, mumbling? I think yeah, I was not mumbling. Whining? Were you whining? Uh, if you want to call it that, fine. 
<laughs> these negative connotations, I'm not really... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you weren't mumbling. You weren't whining. You were noting that we always talk about news in the first segment. And while you were noting this, while gasping exasperatedly, uh, <laughs> we thought that maybe this would be a good day for us to just sort of lament the vehicles that we think are underappreciated, both those in production now and then those that may have passed in the, in, you know, somewhat recently. Yeah, in the not too distant past. Not too distant past. Yeah. But uh, hey, Jill. Yes. Yeah, why don't you start us with one? A vehicle you think that maybe people, maybe other auto media, maybe don't appreciate enough. Uh, all right. So first off, I want to start by saying I think Mazda in general is one of the most underrated brands out there. And whole, I, think, whole, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think everybody should go buy a Mazda. I, I love their <laughs> driving dynamics. I love like the look. I love I love pretty much everything about the, the Mazda, even even that silly little, you know, touch remote controller thing. That, um, I, I even like that. I've gotten to like that. So the first car that I would like to say is actually a car that Damon owns and that would be the Mazda 5. I think that was an incredibly underrated vehicle and um, I think it's one of the more brilliant vehicles currently in existence because it's it's and well not currently in existence they did away with it because it was so underrated but um, you know it's the size of a I'd say it's the size of a large sedan, yet it has the height, um, you know, a little bit extra height and the sliding doors of a minivan. So it's like a mini minivan. And, you know, if Damon owns it and Damon is, you know, six foot, very tall, six foot seven, mm. six foot six tall. Six and six. his family is all incredibly tall as well. And they fit in there. And um, I, mm. so that's thing number one. Well, oh, you're going yeah. mm. to. I, I will. <laughs> That that the the Mazda five is at the outer limits of being able to I am at the outer limits of being able to fit in the front seat of the Mazda five, whether I'm in the driver's seat or especially the front passenger seat. Oddly enough, I fit way, way better in the second row, which is usually not the case. Uh, um, But yeah, so. If you're super tall, it's borderline. But even with that, the vehicle is so uh, versatile and handy mm-hmm. that I wholeheartedly recommend it. I, I yeah. love that car. I just want to clarify, Jill, Jill had said it was as big as a large sedan, but and maybe in terms of interior volume, but it's actually got really compact footprint. Easy yeah. thing to park, easy thing to garage. Um, at, at this point, since we have mentioned the beloved and forgotten Mazda 5, uh, I have to mention one of mine, and that's the Kia Rondo, which was almost oh. the exact same principle. Yeah. Rondo, the Rondo was, was a, a, about the footprint of, a, of a, maybe a Kia Optima. Mm, uh, I think we, a, a little bit smaller still. Like the a little Mazda, bit shorter? Yeah, the Mazda 5 is Mazda 3 base, and I think the, the Rondo was a little bit more the footprint of a Kia Forte. But it had a high roof. It fit four adults nicely. There was an available three-row. This had opening rear doors. It didn't have sliding side doors. But other than that, it was an interesting car. Um, kind of ugly it was a very weird shape <laughs> yeah and and that was that was before kia had kind of hit upon that interesting tiger nose design right. theme that really upped their game in the styling department so yes it was not what you call the rondo was not what you would call a gorgeous vehicle but so practical and and functional yeah, here's a great point about the Rondo. I, I don't know if you're ready for this. It, it ran from 2007 to 2010. We were if Americans wanted it. Uh, the LX, the base trim level in 2007, started at 16,395 plus destination, 17 grand. Mm-hmm. That's the price of a subcompact sedan now. And this is the fun part. That price was artificially low because the car did not come standard with air conditioning. <laughs> Really? I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, it might have been one of the last cars available in America without air conditioning. The Nissan Versa 
yeah. might have been the last. But but yeah, Rondo was an incredibly good deal. It was easy on the gas. It was available with that weird little V6, that little 2.7 liter V6 that Kia and Hyundai were stuffing in vehicles. But I remember going on the event for this for this vehicle, and they were so, <laughs> Kia was so sure that the practical Americans were going to latch onto this vehicle. And, and mm-hmm. the lesson we've learned from the Rondo and from <laughs> Mazda 5 is that Americans don't want practical stuff yeah. if it seems too practical. Yeah, practical and American is kind of like a little bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. The... the uh, the Subaru Crosstrek, I think, is an excellent example of that. Oh, no one wants yeah. a Subaru Impreza, but everyone wants a Subaru Crosstrek, and they're kind of the same car, but the Crosstrek looks like a crossover. Boy, that makes you wonder if they would have slapped some uh, flat <laughs> yes. back cladding and raised the ride height of the Rondo a little bit, even with that kind of nondescript shape, if they could have if they could have passed it off as some sort of cross-track slash outback amalgamation or something. The, yeah, the, like the Rondo Gravel Master. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yes. Damon, <laughs> yes. what have you got for us? Well, I, I, I have a couple currently available vehicles, but since you guys uh, came out with uh, recently departed vehicles or vehicles that have left us within the last decade or so, I will list one of those as well, and that is the Suzuki Kazashi. Oh, heck yeah. Which I'm guessing a lot of uh, listeners have never even heard of before. Or Um, seen. Or seen, yeah. And now, I I should have looked this up beforehand, but did it debut as a 2000, was it 2010? I can't remember when this Kazashi actually came out, but it was basically uh, a, a extra compact sedan, uh, a little bit smaller than the than the Accord or Camry, what have you. Um, in uh, twenty thirteen, wow, yeah, it came out for twenty thirteen, and it didn't make it too many years beyond that. Mm-hmm. It was an amazingly athletic. It was appreciably smaller than than your typical mid-sized car but still quite spacious inside for its exterior size and it never had a fantastic engine never had a fantastic powertrain it was a cvt transmission most of them were that just didn't quite have that athletic feel to it but everything about else about the car was amazingly athletic the the for a, for a mainstream sedan the steering was fantastic it was uh, a fantastic corner just but it still had a decent everyday ride we had a, a long-term kazashi in our consumer guide fleet that i spent a fair amount of time in and even even at the tail end of its time with us, I was always happy to hop in that car and drive it. Yeah, and cool thing too was available with all-wheel drive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even even more of a unicorn nowadays. One of the yeah. things about that too, as you guys may or may not remember, but at the time Suzuki had entered into a weird ownership stake with Volkswagen, and Volkswagen took like a nine hundred percent stake in Suzuki, and Suzuki <laughs> took a one percent stake in Volkswagen, something like that. I don't remember the exact deal, the exact ratio, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but but we had all crossed our fingers. Everyone in the automotive media had crossed our fingers that a Volkswagen engine would end up under the hood of the yeah. Kazashi, and I could think of nothing cooler than a two-liter turbo showing up in that car and making it perfect but that never happened unfortunately yeah so close but no cigar there's so many uh woulda coulda shouldas with that with that vehicle yeah well that was like one of the last vehicles that uh suzuki put out before they completely exited the united states yep if not the last it was the last it was the last introduction yeah well there was also uh, around that time there was the last generation grand vitara which i would also put on the underrated list that was a surprisingly nice um competitive compact suv that never really found a foothold yeah i can't remember what the exact time frame of that one was too but that was a, a late suzuki launch that was uh, a great vehicle that just yeah didn't quite hit the way it needed to. Damon, give us a new car that you think is underappreciated. <laughs> this one is a very dark horse pick. I, I will I will actually say two because there is a compact and midsize. The compact one has already disappeared. Uh, the Jaguar XE is oh. gone, and the Jaguar XF. I think mm-hmm. those are really underrated sports sedans. 
Yeah, I don't think the problem is Jaguar. I think the problem is Jaguar, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I, I think the product is is really great. We had an XE through here a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I was stunned by how much I enjoyed driving that car. I just didn't remember it that fondly from previous, previous visits, but... Jaguar can't give sedans away. They can hardly give crossovers away. And no one was looking at these cars, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, probably just money, Jaguar hasn't been slapping really good lease deals on those. So they're just not showing up in people's radar. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, staying with the Jaguar theme um, in the new car arena, I also think the Jaguar I-Pace is really underrated. I mean, that thing, they, they, they're having a hard time giving it away. And I think that I, that was one of the more interesting EVs that I've driven since I've started driving EVs. And I, I loved it. Yeah, the Jaguar I-Pace, which we should mention is their electric, is, well, that's really a compact, right, crossover? Yeah. Um, it, it's smaller than little, the E-Pace, little, I think. Yeah, a little bigger than, than compact, compact. But, yeah, it's... Uh, compact-ish, we'll say. Launched around the same time that the Audi e-tron came out. Yeah. And almost immediately, and the e-tron was a sales disappointment at first, too, uh, but almost immediately the e-tron started trouncing the I-Pace in sales. Jaguar yeah. just couldn't give the car away. And the I-Pace is, exp- or the e-tron is now selling fairly well. I think they found an audience for that, and word of mouth has gotten out. And I've never driven one, but I hear the good things. <laughs> right. Same. But, but, yeah, in terms of electric vehicles, it's, it's marketing is everything right now, it seems. Yeah. Right. Ford can't build enough, as far as we know, Mach-E's, the new Mustang Mach-E, the all-electric Mustang. Like People are clamoring for that. Meanwhile, these luxury makers have a hard time getting rid of their cars. But yeah, Jill, excellent point. I really enjoyed driving that thing. Mm-hmm. All right. You know what? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we talk to Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I am delighted that you're sticking around with us today. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Today I spotted a Volkswagen Rutan. You can see that vehicle by checking me out on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Because everyone wants to check out a Volkswagen Rutan. You want to say what that is? <laughs> Do we have to? No. Uh, <laughs> the Rutan was that really strange minivan that was basically a Volkswagen rebadging of the Dodge Grand Caravan. Uh-huh. No one bought it. No one cared. <laughs> but there it is. There's one in Palatine, Illinois. So there. There you go. All right. Hey, he leads the global vehicle forecasting team at Auto Forecast Solutions, and he hosts the super informative AFS Vision podcast. And now he's our guest. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Sam Fiorani. Hey, Sam. Hey, great to be here. It's been a while since we got you on. I'm glad you're here with us today. I'm I'm glad to be here too. Uh, that, that Rutan, they, when they advertised it, they said it was engineered by Germans, but they didn't say it was Volkswagen Germans. It was Daimler Chrysler Germans. <laughs> I, I a bit of trivia about that vehicle that no one seems to care about. I'm pretty sure that that was the first pushrod Volkswagen since they got rid of air cooled cars. Hmm. Well, that's that's probably the case. You're right. You're right. But it, it's also the only minivan that Chrysler built that you couldn't get the stow and go seats in. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, a, a feature they would want to keep for themselves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Rutan, the Rutan is all trivia and no sales. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sam, because you are a font of information, I wanted to talk to you about something that I've been following, and that's the story of Lordstown Motors. Um, For people who don't know, this was the company that had acquired General Motors' Lordstown assembly plant and had big hopes to do big things, uh, but they're not looking to be in good shape right now. Lordstown is kind of like the the modern Tucker. They acquired a big plant and then had to fill it with product. But uh, they just are coming up short of money, and they're, they're, they've already stated in their SEC filings that they do not have enough money to last another year. So they're looking for more financing, trying to keep uh, 
the endurance pickup truck on schedule for for production uh, probably pushed back to next year but at this point the endurance is one of the things that interests me most about EV startups because the technology there seems to be unique. Um, they want to go with a hub motor setup. Is, is that indeed a unique situation, and what is that? The, the hub motor does exactly what it sounds like. The motors are near the wheels themselves. The it's great for control because you have individual motors for each side of the car and you can you can adjust the all-wheel drive between each wheel individually which is fantastically uh, dynamic it's great the problem with that is when you have the motors on the hubs it increases the the weight of the wheel and yeah throws off the uh, the suspension itself which now has to deal with not only the tires and the wheel moving but a motor out there hmm. Yeah, it seems like cool technology. Unsprung weight is a thing that I used to hear a lot about when I was first becoming aware of automotive technology and, and engineering, and that would be a thing. But I, w I was really hoping to read test drives of this vehicle or to test drive one myself, and now I'm worried that's not going to happen. Yeah, that, that's been the fear all along that, that this company wouldn't make it to production, and, and now the company is saying we're having trouble making it to production. So that, that does not bode well for the future of the vehicle, the company. There are so many... EV pickups on the on the docket for the next two, three, four years, and uh, this was this was one of the higher profile ones. There are, there are plenty of ones that, that nobody's ever heard of, like Atlas or Hercules. But uh, when you have the big players like Lordstown, Rivian, and definitely Ford and GM, this is a, a movement that's coming, and uh, it's getting a lot of people excited because EVs are not that excitable to American consumers, but pickup trucks are. So making a pickup EV, especially when you can put in all that torque and, uh, and, and the capability of plugging in equipment on your truck without having to have extra uh, generators on the vehicle is, is a great benefit to, to people on construction sites, uh, contractors, anyone who uses their truck for what it's designed for. So, Sam, yeah, it's remarkable to me just how many uh, of these electric pickup truck startups there are. Of what you've seen so far and based on your perspective, if you were a betting man, which, uh, which horse are you going to pick in this race? Is it Rivian? Is it Lordstown? Is it uh, Bollinger? What looks the best to you? Well, contrary to what I believe should be the direction of an electric pickup truck, electric pickup trucks should be focused on on the uh, uh, the commercial side. It should not be on the consumer side. It should be the the people who use these trucks and don't travel long distances. They travel to a work site. They they know where they're going to plug them in on both ends. So it it's very helpful to have that. Unfortunately, a lot of these trucks, the the Teslas, the Rivians, the Bollingers, are not directed at at the commercial grade stuff they're looking at people who drive them to work every day and so on that end I, I think Rivian has a really good shot they haven't they haven't really thrown pie in the sky numbers they're actually reasonable numbers that they've been targeting and then they have uh, money coming in from Ford and from uh, from Amazon so the, the idea that they could get the financing they need for these trucks makes them a good player uh, i also like ford and and definitely gm gm's got enough money and technology behind it but the ford f-150 they're the most popular vehicle in the country having an ev version and having it as capable and or more capable than the standard f-150 makes it a, a excellent play for for the commercial side as well as the consumer side Sam, I wanted to get your take on Fisker and, and what you think they're up to right now. Fisker's been making a lot of news recently for being a company that is probably not going to be doing that much of the manufacturing in-house. And they're talking about having Magna build cars for a while and then striking a deal with Foxconn, uh, which is the Taiwanese manufacturer. What do you think of their plan and, and how how likely does it does it seem to you that we're going to see Fiskers in driveways in the next five years? Uh, Fisker is, is Henry Fisker designs beautiful vehicles he has for a number yeah. of years but getting him to put his vehicles on the street has been tough uh, he, his first company <laughs> didn't do so well and, and this is his second outing and at least in this one 
the money's not going to to the production side, which is great. Uh, I think it was uh, Bob Lutz about 20 years ago wrote an article about the the coming wave of outsourcing production and having just someone else build your vehicles. And for these startups, especially in the EV space, this is a great idea to, to take where you don't have to invest a billion, a billion and a half, two billion dollars on a plant where you can just get somebody who knows how to screw together a vehicle to build it for you and you just work on designing the best vehicle you can possibly make. Uh, it gives Fisker a chance this time and uh, and they have plants plan for at least three countries at the moment so they're they're spreading the, the wealth around the world and uh, and and getting companies like magna and foxconn that that know how to put together products uh, foxconn is working on their own ev platform as a matter of fact um they, these ideas are really good and, and strong ideas for for a company like fisker to to break into this marketplace this is a good idea now, Foxconn says that they're working on their own EV architecture, and I believe that Geely is saying the same thing. And I might be wrong, but I thought Geely was prepared to build cars for other companies, too. Does it seem credible to you that these companies have developed their own EV architecture? Uh, definitely Geely, because uh, they, they've been making cars for quite a few years and, and uh, on sale outside of China, plus the fact that they, uh, Geely owns Volvo. So right. they have the technology, and Geely owns Lotus, which is an engineering company. So they have the technology there. Um, Foxconn, on the other hand, it, it's a, they most likely have a good platform. They have been designing these things for a number of years, but uh, you know, nobody's really known Foxconn for vehicles. They know them for making Apple iPhones, but uh, it's a, it's a technology that they can pick up and and make a world-class platform for someone else to to screw together their their top hat as they call it and make their own vehicle on top of that it it, it the modern evs allow for a lot of product use between brands because you're not you're not uh, dedicating your your theme on the Hemi V8 or whatever powertrain that that would traditionally power the vehicle. Uh, electric right. allow a little more flexibility there. It's changing gears just a little bit. And speaking of EV startups that we need to worry about a little bit, Nikolai famously uh, ended up kind of putting the hold on its plans with General Motors decided not to work with it on a couple of programs. What do we know about Nikolai these days? Uh, Nicola has, has had a number of problems with their executives. Uh, they've uh, come in uh, trouble with the SEC. They're, 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 as we would call, iffy at the moment, but they're focusing more on their uh, fuel cell and Class 8 trucks, the big trucks. Uh, the Nicola Badger is, at this point, uh, a dead product. We haven't heard anything about it in, in ages, ever since GM backed away from it. Uh, they, their best chance of having that in production was having GM as a partner, and it was on their books for a while, but they have since, uh, since pulled it off, and, the, and Nicola is maybe a little better off than Lordstown at the moment, but still on that, uh, I wouldn't bet on it table. <laughs> is, is General Motors still in, in line to be producing fuel cells for Nikola for the big trucks? I, I haven't heard anything about that lately. They do have a fuel cell program, but it has taken a back burner to the Ultium battery, battery cell program. Uh, they have so many vehicles on, at, at last count, four different platforms that they're planning on uh, producing new, new electric vehicles in the next four years. So they have a lot on their plate at the moment. Uh, Sam, this is shifting gears again, but given that you also have, that you're an automotive industry history expert, <laughs> it, it occurred, like, I'm just, I'm seeing all these EV startups do you think it's a fair comparison to to say that, you know, early in our, our 2000s and the 2010s and now as we enter into the 2020s, is the EV world now just like the horseless carriage world was 100 years ago where there was, you know, you had your Fords and you had your just kind of gelling General Motors, but there was just 
everybody and his dog seemed to have a car company startup back then. Does it feel the same way to you now with all these startup EVs? I know it's not a direct comparison, but do you think the the, the spirit is the same as it was 100 years ago with with gasoline-powered horseless carriages? It's not a direct comparison, but it is a very good comparison. A hundred years ago, there were so few regulations to get into making a vehicle. You didn't have crash, you didn't have safety, you didn't have emissions, you didn't have all these different things. And so it was really easy to convert your your shop that made made horse-drawn carriages and put a motor on it and sell it as a vehicle. Uh, You didn't need to have uh, redundant braking systems and you didn't have the IIHS looking after you about crashing them and all kinds of different problems that you could potentially have with a car in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, especially eliminating the problem with uh, emissions. Electric vehicles allows a whole bunch of new companies to come in and say, we can build a car just as good or better than the companies that are out there now. And so it is opening the gates. Well, we put together an electric vehicle startup book, and in the book we we outline over 120 EV startups that are planning global EVs not in, that's not including the the little EV startups in China, and that's not including three wheelers and big trucks and all kinds of other things. We we found well over four hundred companies that are looking to start EVs that didn't build wow. a vehicle before, uh, but we're we're tracking one hundred and twenty of them as as significant real light vehicles uh, with the potential of. of going into production and you know companies that you wouldn't expect to to be building cars like Huawei and uh, like Foxconn as we mentioned right there are a whole bunch of companies that are looking to get into the space well so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw an idea out there and and I've, I've kind of felt this way for a, a while but maybe maybe I'm a little bit um, off so I, I would love your opinion on this my theory is it doesn't matter if Rivian or Lucid or Nikolai or any of these 120 other EV car companies make it, that what they are doing is they are forcing the GMs and the Fords of the world to innovate and do better and be better. Like, I, I, I honestly don't know that we would have seen the Ford Lightning or, you know, a, a Silverado EV anytime in the next 10 years if there wasn't Rivian. I, I agree. There, there are a lot of these companies that are pushing uh, them out, of the traditional companies, out of their comfort zone and into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to these, the competition, it's countries: Canada, UK, uh, EU, and uh, and cities like Paris and London pushing the idea that they need cleaner vehicles to just to move around their, their country. Uh, limiting the production and sale of internal combustion engine vehicles in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years is, is making these companies stand up and say, we need to come up with EVs so that we can continue to build vehicles. Plus the fact that you have the uh, Wall Street looking at these legacy companies mm-hmm. as auto companies and not technology companies and their stock prices shown it over the last five years but over the last year ford and gm stock prices have gone up because they've transitioned themselves as a technology company now by showcasing these evs sam we're running out of time here but one question that i keep getting from everyone is when this chip shortage is going to ease up do you have any uh, any news you can share on that front that's that's the question we get every day around here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and from question. every angle, when are we going to get the, uh, the supply of vehicles back up? When are we going to have new vehicles on dealership plots? When are used vehicles going to come down in price? All these problems are all related to semiconductors, and we're not expecting a, a change before before the end of Q3 if not Q4 and possibly into next year. This is a, a difficult thing to, to fix and it takes a lot of money and, and it's not like uh, just turning on a new supplier. It, it entails a lot of uh, investment in, in technology that isn't, isn't quick and isn't cheap. Excellent. Sam, you are a font of information, and I wish we could have you on every week. We just ran out of time, but the good news for folks is that you're going to be conducting today's quiz, so you're not going away. <laughs> so we're all nervous about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. He is Sam Fiorani with AFS Vision, and uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's Sam's quiz time. Stick around. 
welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Good Automotive, and I am delighted that you're sticking around for the quiz. But first, Jill, how can folks keep track of you in social media land? Uh, in social media land, pretty much on uh, most of the popular social mediums, I, or I guess I should say media because mediums is not the plural, um, but in most of the social media, you can find me at Jill Simonello. Um, I also use the hashtag car du jour. And so um, my most prolific uh, media right now has got to be, um, and I keep using that wrong, medium right now keep, is TikTok, but TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Jill Simonello, car du jour. I need that caffeine, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Damon, you're active on Pepper, P-E-P-R. How can folks follow you there? P-E-P-R. There's not a second P and not an E in there? No, that's that's trendy. Oh. Like CRISPR. Is, yeah. is it a condiment discussion group? Or <laughs> we I didn't about? check, actually. I, I, oh. It's for okay. baseball coaches. They play Pepper. Oh, okay. No, I'm not on Pepper, but I am on Twitter. Oh. I am on Twitter, and that's with a second T, N, and E. Uh, that's not Twitter. <laughs> uh, Twitter, uh, David Bell likes cars. Sounds good. All right. In a very, very unusual uh, set of circumstances here, I am hanky taking off my Quizmaster hat, and I am passing it over to Sam, who is going to quiz the three of us today. Sam, are you ready to be Quizmaster? I am ready to be Quizmaster. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go Jill, Damon, Tom in the guessing, in the answering, and I hand it off to you, sir. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Car Stuff trivia, and I'm honored to be the uh, <laughs> host today for the quiz. Uh, this trivia was inspired by a recent episode of NPR's Ask Me Another, and today's topic is voiceovers in car commercials by celebrities. Oh. Wow. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Matthew McConaughey works with Lincoln, and Catherine Hahn has done work with Chrysler, and uh, Brie Larson is currently in the Nissan ads. But there are other famous people who do car commercials and truck commercials, and uh, I'm going to quiz you on who they are. <laughs> Excellent. So, All right. Uh, Jill, for your first, your first question, uh, Honda recently replaced Fred Savage as their spokesperson. Who does the voiceover for Honda commercials? What, no multiple choice? Wow. <laughs> no, no multiple choice. You gotta come up with it. You gotta, you gotta think back in your head and listen to the commercial in your head. Oh, God. I don't watch TV, so that's problem number one I've got going on. <laughs> and, uh, and problem number two is I cannot pick actors out of a lineup. Um, I, I, I'm gonna say Samuel L. Jackson. Damon? I don't. I don't. I, can, I. I watch a lot of Wonder Years, so I'm very familiar with Fred Savage. I had no idea that he was a Honda uh, voiceover guy. Um, so I can't. Oh, yeah, he went for a number of years. Oh, okay. Um, oh, this is a total shot in the dark because I can't. I can't remember any Honda commercial in my head. I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Michael Bolton, the singer. <laughs> oh. I know that's wrong, but I, I know he I know there was a spoof Honda commercial he was in, so uh, I'm punting. I'm saying I'm Michael Bolton. All right, I'm gonna guess Martin Sheen. Oh, excellent guess all around. But the actual answer is John Cena, the actor and wrestler. Oh man! Really, really? Yeah. Oh, now I'm gonna have to pay attention the next time I see a Honda commercial. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No points in the first round. We move on to the second. <laughs> second round here. So Ford has a car and a truck spokesperson, and most people know Dennis Leary as the truck person. But who's the spokesperson for Ford cars? Oh. Does who did, who does this go to first? Jill. Still? Uh, okay. So I get to start first, and, and um, uh, I know that they had that one guy who it was the swordmaster dude in Thor that did some of his, you know, that did he was the spokesperson when they launched the Mustang Mach E. But is that really a car? 
Um, but I, I can't Joe. remember his name. I know, I'm like, I can't remember his name, so I'm just going back to Samuel L. Jackson again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to me now. Yes. yes. I, I, I have a better idea here. I'm going to say uh, the wonderful actor Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad. Oh, that sounds familiar. I have no idea. I'm just going to say Martin Sheen again. <laughs> the current spokesperson for Ford's, Ford's non-pickup line is Angela Bassett. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Brian oh, Cranston. I bet I knew that. Uh, uh, Brian Cranston does voiceover for Ford, though, doesn't he? He may have. Oh. <sighs> All right. All right. Half a point. How's that? Okay, I'll take it. Oh, dang. Okay. Damon's got half a point. That's going to win this. <laughs> yeah, it is going to win this. <laughs> so, uh, Cadillac had a splashy set of commercials recently where they replaced Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. And they have a new spokesperson who actually appears in the commercials. Who's Cadillac spokesperson? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you first. I'm like, do I go back to Samuel L. Jackson again? Um, I'm going to switch to Morgan Freeman. I got nothing. <sighs> I have not, I can't even recall seeing a recent Cadillac commercial. And Sam said that this celebrity actually appears in the Cadillac commercial. Uh, I have no idea, so I'm going to recall the only actor that comes to mind that I've seen in a Cadillac commercial, and that is Kate Walsh from about a decade ago. So I know that's wrong, but I just <laughs> want to demonstrate that I know something about a celebrity who's been in a Cadillac commercial. So Kate Walsh from that Grey's Anatomy show or whatever that doctor show was. I'm going to one-up Damon, but I'm not going to one-up him by actually winning a point. Uh, but Dennis Franz used to do Cadillac STS ads, so uh, uh, Seville ads. So I'm going to go uh, Dennis Franz. So you're not going to go with the Cindy Crawford Cadillac ads, you know? Those? Oh. <laughs> but the, current, the current person is Regina King. Ah. Okay. Oh. Okay. Here's the alarming thing. Damon still was winning by one half point. <laughs> <laughs> we got two more questions for you guys to catch up. Okay. Okay. So uh, this one kind of surprised me. Since 2013, Chevrolet has had the same voiceover person. Oh. Spokesperson for Chevrolet. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I can't even like call an actor's name out of my head to uh, make even a fake guess. Um, I, I'm going to go back to Morgan Freeman again. I'm pretty sure. That's I really wrong. don't. I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV. I got nothing. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea on this one. A good enough idea that I would like to go last so as not to give my answer away to Tom. But I guess since I'm already a half point ahead, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> uh, all right, I will. I will go in my normal order. Then I will say uh, Tim Allen. Tim Allen. Ooh, Tom does it. Tom isn't immediately agreeing with me. Oh, I thought it was the guy that was doing the Pure Michigan ads, but I can't think of his name. Hmm. All right, I'm going to do something strategic and say Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just looked it up to confirm, but Tim Allen also does voiceovers for Chevrolet. But the one I was going with was John Cusack. Oh, oh really? John wow. Chicago native. Hmm. By the way, Tim Allen is doing the Pure Michigan ads. What a coincidence. All right, no points all around. Damon still leads with half a point. We're up to the last question before the bonus round. Uh, yeah, all this right. one goes to Jill. This is one that inspired the whole, the whole set of questions here. Uh, I was kind of surprised that when it was pointed out who the spokesperson for Mercedes-Benz was. Oh. Man, I've been Apparently, seeing that. Apparently, they make a million dollars a commercial. Wow. What? I, and I is, want is, that. This, is this just a, a voiceover not actually appearing? Not actually in the ads. I was, I was surprised to, to hear that this was the person doing this. Wow. 
a million bucks in ads, so it's not Michael Caine. Jill, you go first. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I still have nothing, so uh, I'm going to completely switch it up and go female this time and say Kate Hudson, even though I know that's not the right answer because she's like infinity. That one I did know. Infinity, Kate Hudson. <laughs> Uh, Do I get a half a point? <laughs> I, 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 I'm racking my brain, and I have not seen a, I've not seen a Mercedes commercial that I can recall either. Uh, so I'm just going to go for a cheap joke for my answer, and I'm going to say Gilbert Gottfried. That seems wrong. Okay, I'm trying to think who gets a million bucks an ad. I'm going to go with George Clooney. Hmm. No, it's actually John Hamm from Mad Men. Oh. oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Well, Damon has won with half a point. <laughs> we still go to the tiebreaker. What do you got for us, Sam? And, and since the most exercise I get is talking about exercising, and last week you guys talked about how much you want to add uh, running into your discussions here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're dying to add more running. Yes. <laughs> so the, the tiebreaker here is the world record time for running a marathon was set by Ilud Kipgoch of Kenya at the Berlin Marathon in 2018. Closest to the number of wins. What was his time? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jill, uh, you go first since I think you might have a better idea than the rest of us. And you're saying closest to the closest what? Closest Second or? Time. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say uh, two hours and one minute. I'm going to say two hours and two minutes. I'm employing a price. Oh, man, see, now you're now you're just cheating. You're 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 doing you're going off of my knowledge and you're um, man. Well, Tom could Tom could do, pull the same trick on both of us. I wouldn't do something like that. An hour fifty nine. <laughs> that I know is wrong, so you well, I think I, I know that one's wrong. So to, I, I, Damon might get it. At two hours, one minute, and thirty-nine seconds, Damon wins. Oh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! No, no, no! Because he went over. I said two. I said I one minute. I feel like it's no, no. He said he was going by the price of right rules, so no, I no. get it. No, no, no. That's not Sam's rules. I was just making a reference I don't know. as to my I strategy. think I got it. <laughs> he didn't say you close us without going over. This isn't the price is right. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew it wasn't under two, uh, but I knew it was very close. I score my first loss of the season. Uh, Damon wins with a measly 1.5. Jill is shut out. That was a heck of a quiz, Sam. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, Sam, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, uh, follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn and, uh, and Facebook and uh, pick up the next issue of Collectible Reveal where I'm writing an article. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. All right. All right. That was Sam Fiorina with Auto Forecast Solutions. Damon, what's going on at uh, the CG Daily Drive blog? All kinds of good stuff. Uh, we got an interesting article this week on car shopping from home. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a development in recent years. I think most people have heard of CarMax, but maybe not everybody has heard of Carvana and Vroom. So we've got an overview article kind of explaining the ins and outs of those uh, non-traditional car buying and actually car selling companies as well. You can sell your car to those companies as well as buy from them. So an interesting overview on that. Yeah, that process is a little weird because Carvana and Vroom do not have lots or buildings or, or offices that you can go to. The car is literally brought to you. You can drive it around your neighborhood or whatever, and then they take it back. It's a, an entirely different experience. Yeah. It, doesn't Carvana have some sort of novel vending machine, though? I think they try to make a lot of stink out of some vending machine they built. But <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's more like a statue, I think. Okay. Um, and we've got a couple uh, quick spin test drive reports as well. Uh, we've got a... a 
quick spin review of the 2021 Chevrolet Trailblazer Active. Um, that is Trailblazer is a was an early uh, new for 2021 vehicle that shares some of its underpinnings or most of its underpinnings with the Buick uh, Encore GX, um, and Active is a slightly more off-road flavored version of the of the Trailblazer. Slightly, yes. key emphasis on slightly. <laughs> but that seems to work for lots of lots of companies now. Uh, raise yeah. the ride height a little, give it some slightly knobbier tires, uh, maybe a, a brawnier looking roof rack, and presto, add, you've got uh, add, a add sales some more leader. cladding. Add, add some more cladding. cladding. Yeah. In the case of the, the Trailblazer Active, uh, the wheel cladding is mostly the same as the other ones, but the front and rear fascias are a little bit different. I have to say too, as a uh, as a color fan, this. A test vehicle that we had is in a dark copper metallic finish that looks fantastic. Very cool color. Uh, one of my favorite uh, colors on recent test vehicles that we've had. Um, one, one thing I wanted to say about that, sorry to cut you off there. Um, the, the Trailblazer lineup is interesting in that it descends through a base LS and LT. And then if you want a premium trim level, there is no sort of premium or, or LTZ or anything like that. You have to pick if you want to go sporty, sporty RS or off-roady, light off-roady active. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting trim level setup. Yeah, I recall Mercedes-Benz uh, doing something similar with they had a sport and a luxury uh, version that were kind of the same level of overall equipment, just uh, a flavor to the trim that, that stuck with the sport theme or the luxury theme. So, yeah, it, do, it doesn't surprise me that uh, other manufacturers are doing something similar. Yeah. What else have we got? Um, also, uh, a test vehicle with what I consider a very cool color and a very cool color name, we, which reminds me we should really bring back uh, LaShirl Turner uh, and have another uh, color conversation mm. because this one, I'm sure she and her team had fun naming the, the uh, industrial-looking gray color on this Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat Red Eye that we had in. The color uh, name, Smoke Show. That is that is a good color and it's a great color name. Actually, I love that color. Yes, and, and a very tough looking industrial color, which we've kind of talked about as a as a fashionable thing now. These really uh, military industrial looking gray colors, and you're hard pressed to find a brawnier vehicle uh, than the Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat Red Eye Wide Body, 797 horsepower supercharged Hemi V8. Um, yes, what what a beefy machine. All right, you know what we did? Oh, but once again, we ran out of time. That's right, we've run out of time, uh, uh, partly because we spent time on the world's hardest quiz. And, <laughs> uh, but I'm just bitter because I lost. Uh, and, and finished with a goose egg, too. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Special thanks to our guest today, Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Check out their website for all sorts of cool new car and auto industry stuff. Thanks, as always, to Jill and Damon. Big thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. A special shout out to my friends Steve and Johnny. And if you want to be added to the Car Stuff mailing list or suggest a quiz topic, you can do so at CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com. That is CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com. Uh, uh, let's talk more about cars again next week. Oh, and remember the Rondo. Rondo.